0: Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome back. It's Friday night, uh, episode 98. We've almost done a hundred of these. Uh, BuzzFed, uh, this is one of the more eventful weeks in media that uh, I've personally gone through. And uh, also, I'm doing that thing where I try to kick my own ass five times a week and uh, see how I feel on Friday and Saturday. And I'm not great. Um, As I mentioned, uh, I'm playing softball for like the first time in maybe, I don't know, since I was maybe a teenager playing baseball. And uh, the first time I tried to stop a ground ball, uh, it went right off the inner side of my bicep. And I have a fun bruise that is about the size of a baseball. And uh, on top of that, I said I'm skating extras this week, plus two training sessions. So I'm feeling it. I'm a little hurt tonight. Uh, I don't. I can't promise uh, how into this I'm going to be, but we'll try. Um, a few things that happened this week. I'm just going to run down them quickly, and then we'll, we'll just jump right in. Uh, we obviously saw the end of BuzzFeed News, and I had a pretty extensive rundown on my podcast yesterday, as well as a piece of Spectator, on why this is inevitably a good thing. Uh, almost no media organization or web outlet or whatever transformed our current media uh environment for the worse than buzzfeed and that had everything to do with just kind of dumbing down the news to offering pay-by-click listicles and turning just like 20-something brooklynite interns into woodward and bernstein um buzzfeed's effects are going to have long ripples and reverberations that are going to be there long after they're gone And that includes kind of like this media model of shaming people who have problematic clothes or food tastes or whatever. Um, And the whole cancel culture thing largely stemmed from that style of journalism. Uh, And until it's not profitable anymore, they will keep doing it. And that's one of the things with BuzzFeed is they shut down the news division primarily because it wasn't profitable. uh, But they also embraced kind of the social media model of Facebook. And... Uh, as Ben Smith noted, this is pretty much the end of you know social media partnerships with websites. And I don't know if I agree with that, but it's an interesting thought considering how much Ben himself led, uh, had to do with implementing this kind of journalism. We also saw the Fox Dominion stuff get settled, uh, a lawsuit get settled, and that really robbed journos <laughs> of, uh, of a lot this week. They really wanted that scalp and they didn't get it. And they're even smarting about it that Fox did not have to apologize. Um, we saw the return of Brian Stelter from CNN, who was supposed to join Vanity Fair and, and write pieces and newsletters and be back on TV with News Nation and have podcasts. And that's now all gone. Uh, so sorry, Brian. I, I saw a great tweet where somebody said, if you, want, if you want a story to disappear, have Brian Stelter cover it, um, which I thought was great. Uh, we also saw uh, a congressional threat towards Matt Taibbi from Rep. Stacey Plaskin, who is a non-voting member of Congress for the Virgin Islands. Uh, she kind of made a name for herself trying to cross-examine Schellenberger and Taibbi during their testimony for the Twitter files. And because of a, an error that Taibbi had, uh, like a typo error in his testimony or in his Twitter files that Mehdi Hassan picked up, She's now basically threatening perjury and jail time, and I can't help but kind of notice all of the corporate journalists that have photos of Evan Yukiewicz, who is the Wall Street Journal reporter, currently being detained in Russia, Uh, and they've all changed their headers or their pictures for him or free Evan like Maggie Haberman has, were largely silent on a United States member of Congress threatening a journalist with jail time. And I don't think it's hyperbole to uh, compare those two things. Um, Obviously, the United States Congress is not Vladimir Putin scooping journalists off the street, um, but it's still the the tacit threat that we're going to imprison use, all because Elon Musk took away their favorite toy and jeopardized several domestic uh, intelligence operations, whether it was about vaccines or anti-trans rhetoric or whatever. Um, That was pretty stunning, and most journalists just turned the other way and let it happen. Uh, there were a couple. There was Matt Doler who spoke up, Ryan Grimm who spoke up. And these are guys I generally consider to be, uh, I would say, good, honorable libs. Uh, they're honest, which is why you don't ever see me argue with them a lot. And so that was another kind of big thing that happened that flew under the radar. And then today, or yesterday rather, we had a kind of bombshell release that Mike Morell, is a former... Intelligence analyst and CBS news contributor basically admitted to authoring the intelligence letter that 50 and in former intelligence officials signed stating that the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian disinformation operation shortly before the 2020 election. And uh, we learned that that directive came directly from Anthony Blinken, who at that time was an advisor on the Biden campaign, and is now, of course, the Secretary of State. This is kind of a big deal because Joe Biden directly lied about this on a debate stage, citing that letter. And so what we learned is we had a circular kind of thing happen where the Biden the Biden campaign rather at the time directed Morrell to put this letter out, get people to sign it. And now we don't know if they signed it willingly knowing it was a disinformation op in and of itself or if they just signed it because Mike Morrell told them to, what have you. And then because they signed this letter, they then pushed it out to Natasha Bertrand at Politico, who has done nothing her entire career, but fail upwards to CNN. It was also promoted by Jen Psaki, who at the time was a CNN contributor. And she, of course, became the White House press secretary. and She is now a sitting MSNBC host. And so they cited they used this letter to cite for Joe Biden in a debate to write this off as a Russian disinformation op. And that was supposed to be it. And then, of course, you also had Jim Baker at Twitter. Uh, on advice blocked the New York Post story on Hunter Biden. So you have this whole kind of rat fuck operation coming out of the former intelligence officials that certainly looked like they all bounded together to give Biden a boost. Morell himself testified that the reason he had no problem authoring this letter or sending it out is that he wanted Joe Biden to be elected. So even of those, even for those of us who are even skeptical of Donald Trump's most outrageous deep state claims, this one feels awfully deepy statey. Stady. Um, and so this is something that I think is going to get looked into as well as this IRS whistleblower um, that is certainly going to come forward. Citing uh, possible obstruction by Merrick Garland and Joe Biden into the investigation or at least the indictment of his son. And this all, of course, ties into one big narrative that Hunter Biden is not only the kind of a, a drug adult degenerate, who jeopardizes his father's career as president, he's also um, blatantly, uh, possibly a criminal. And so this is all stuff that's all tied together. And of course, Aaron Blake of the Washington Post is already trying to just break this off as GOP pounces. So we'll see. I think that this story with the IRS whistleblower has a lot of legs, and I think it's gonna be a slow burn toward most likely the request, or at least possibly the uh, appointment of a special counsel. Um, I think that this is the most legitimate thing that we could possibly see Joe Biden impeached on, uh, as well as several other things heading into next year, but we'll see. So that was a lot that happened this week, and there's even things I haven't even touched on. Uh, I I haven't touched on, obviously, the blue check apocalypse coming off of Twitter. Um, I I don't have much to say about that unless you want to talk about it. Um, Yeah, I I lost mine. that's it. Okay. See ya. Move on with life. Social media platforms change, some change for the better, some change for the worse. Uh, I do believe that this is a change for the worse, um, and I've already stated my reasons why, Um, but we'll see. And so certainly I I don't think I'm Bette Midler here. Oh, no, Bette Midler sitting here screaming that I've been decertified or anything like that. Um, So the way some of these people are taking it, for God's sakes, folks, have some fucking dignity for God. Just stop. And so there's also that out there, which I'm sure is also a popular topic. I kind of try to make it a habit. One of the funniest things that I saw with Mastodon, and even now sort of on Substack Notes, is that everyone goes to these social media platforms to only talk about what's happening on Twitter. And that still lets you know that, you know, Twitter's influence is somewhat retained. If any given moment you go over and look at Mastodon or Post News or sometimes even Substack Notes, they're just still talking about what's happening on Twitter. And so I vowed to kind of not do that on Substack Notes, um, but we can do it here if you like. So I'm sure there's several of you who are now uh, blue check verified, and I am not. So you guys can revel in that if you so choose. So it was a busy week. There was a lot going on. Uh, I have physically gotten the absolute ever-living shit kicked out of me this week. So uh, you can probably hear it. Uh, I'm having a rare batch uh, actual Kentucky bourbon tonight. And also sitting in front of me is a, is a cold snack can of Montauki beer. And so that's where I'm at mentally. <laughs> uh, Bo Adams just said in the comments, uh, Jason Alexander rage quit Twitter over the blue check. I tried to go look at that. And I was even going to like do a quote tweet of George doing the I'm out. And uh, I, I learned that Jason Alexander blocked me somehow. <laughs> so that was a new one I learned today um and so yeah i mean i don't i don't get the celebrity hand-wringing uh the one the one change i will note other than losing my blue check mark is i still had a verified column which if you were verified on twitter you had a verified mentions column so it was just that uh, it was just people who were verified which popped up in there and that's often how i kept track of conversations or whatever hot takes with journals and stuff and I noted that I still had that, and now I just noted, like, in the last two hours, uh, I still have a verified column, but there's no tweets coming up. So uh, I'm completely unverified and undecertified. so whatever. So uh, a lot of topics on the table. So uh, I want to lay some ground rules, and I kind of have a new one um, just talking over with some people uh, who joined call-in. Uh, obviously, if you're if you're talking or if you're in the queue, just make sure to mute your microphone if you're not talking or if I'm rambling or whatever. Uh, it just makes it easier to focus where I don't have background noise. It also makes it just an easier uh, listening experience for the audience and as well as a published recording. So a reminder, these are published as episodes. You can go back and listen to them, and I don't edit them. So there okay. is that. The other thing, just kind of keep note, I only try to do this for about an hour, hour and a half, so we can all get back to... Uh, uh, our lives on the weekend. So just try to kind of keep it short and it doesn't always go that way. I know just with the, you know, the flow of conversation and I'm the most guilty person of that, but just try to keep it short and note that there might be people behind you in the queue. And uh, lastly, um, I, I just want to note that if, because I do have a lot of callers and, and a lot of them do updates on, you know, how they're doing personally and stuff like that. Um, I would request to just kind of try to stay on topics of media, politics, culture, movies, whatever. And uh, if, you, if you want to kind of inform the room or tell, a, you know, kind of a personal story, I would say just kind of do that in comments. Um, and so that just kind of keeps the pace of the, of the podcast and the episode going and we can get everybody in. So I encourage personal stories. I encourage personal anecdotes uh, and things like that. Um, I, I love hearing back from you guys, but I would say um, just try to kind of maybe just do that stuff in the comments so we can get through as many people as we can. And so uh with that we already got a pretty deep queue um if you guys can hold on up there roller gator i'm going to bring up pt who is back there looks like a new person um pt was all the way back at the end but now they're up in the front uh because i like hearing from new people so uh go ahead p go ahead and unmute your mic
1: i always run the risk to see if they're paying attention when Uh, we do this.
0: All right. Well, that was a failed experiment. Uh, P, jump back there. Uh, I'm going to boot you, but go ahead and feel free to jump back up uh, when you can. Uh, Doc?
2: Uh, I was hoping uh, to get a little time for you to get a couple uh, drinks in before uh, I came up. What makes
0: you think I have it? (laughs)
2: um no i I, 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 am
0: i'm I'm sipping on a bourbon i'm finally at the point so i mean just kind of a weird anecdote off off the reservation so i I stopped drinking brown alcohols uh because they were kind of giving me uh, a, a reflux which was one of my triggers for reflux and now just because i've lost weight and i'm in better shape i can tolerate bourbons again so i thought i i thought i would break one out all right. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Is it, is it
2: neat or is it on the
0: rocks? Uh, it's, it's, this one's on the rocks. So, uh, as I'm like wading back into them, uh, I usually kind of like them. So if I'm at a bar, I'll do it neat, but like here, um, I, I'll do, I'll do a, a rocks pour just to kind of ease my. All right.
2: Um, so on the, on the revelations today about the Hunter Biden laptop, um, I have reservations. I, I try not to get excited about some of these announcements because it's like Lucy Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown. Um, on October sixth, twenty twenty, Catherine Herridge posted um, notes. Uh, quote, uh, Radcliffe declassifies 2016 notes from former CIA director Brennan, heavily redacted to protect, protect sources and methods for intel alleging proposed plan approved by HRC to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services. Timing. Brennan notes cite July 28th, 2016. Three days later, FBI opens Crossfire Hurricane on the Trump campaign team. Uh, my margin notations ID players, uh, the, the screenshots she took of or sorry, photos she took of the classified documents. Um, Brennan calls it selective declassification designed to advance political interests of POTUS and Republicans. So that was on October sixth, 2020. And for the life of me, I don't remember hearing a single thing during the Durham investigation of where that led. That's the only thing I've ever seen really covered on that sort of holy crap bombshell because that also involved placing Brennan in the Oval office with Obama discussing this, this actual proposed plan. And I don't, I don't see anything ever moving from that. So what my, I, I hedge my bets on, on things like this actually gaining motion because there are a million ways for the temperature to sort of come back to, to room. Uh, And there's, there's, there's 50 signatories on a letter and every single one of them can just say despite this one person who corralled them for their opinion that was their opinion that's one of the ways it can fizzle out pretty quickly um there's th- there's the fact that you know we are now almost into the third year and maybe maybe i'm you know discounting the energy you can get towards an impeachment but i just don't know I just don't know if there's going to be enough enough in there to actually uh, keep the momentum going when bombshells like that I just read could could dissipate and turn into nothing. And it's not that they turned out to be wrong. It's just that they went. (laughs) I
0: I think one of the things with where you talk about Brennan and Obama is there was no way to really punish Obama. He was out of office. It was over with. And so uh, you're obviously not going to prosecute him. You're not going to do anything legally. So I think part of that is. Is that's why that fizzled out. Um, the Durham thing was just too much in the weeds for I think people to really understand. And um, you, you also have the revelation from Ben Smith this week that David Brock knew about the Steele dossier back in December of 2016. And it's interesting you bring up 2016. Chuck Ross, who has been great on this, and he's he's on top of this thing as well. Noted. In a tweet, and he said, here's the same exact strategy Hillary Clinton deployed in 2016. And you brought this up. It says Clinton touted Trump Russia stories without disclosing her campaign was the one behind them, specifically the tweet where she says computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking Trump organization to a Russian based bank. Ah, well, yes. That was all that was all a, a Clinton rat fuck operation. And they released the memo. And it said uh, Biden touted ex-spies Hunter Biden letter without disclosing that it was actually his campaign behind it. And Chuck Ross notes there's one common denominator behind this, and that's Jake Sullivan. And so you might see Jake Sullivan hauled in front of Congress. And so, yeah, I'm not I'm not one of these people. I'm cynical like you. I'm not one of these people where I say this is going to lead to mass resignations and, and anything like that. And, of course, the, the common denominator, and this is how the media treats these stories, this will just be labeled, you know, uh, laptop Gazi or some shit by Politico Puck and Washington Post. And they'll just make fun of it. And they'll say they're just chasing an investigation. And this is revenge for Trump's impeachment. And they're going to do all of that. And I still look at it and say it doesn't matter. You, This is a pretty big deal um, just because of where it stemmed from. It just wasn't that they pushed this out there or that Biden lied about it on a debate stage. Um, it's that you also, this is connected to Jim Baker censoring the New York Post story and Twitter. And Jim Baker was former, you know, general counsel for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And so you have a pretty tight-knit community here of former, you know, intel chiefs and, and spycraft analysts, and they all kind of bounded together and they said, yeah, we're going to sign this letter. And I, I think you're right. A lot of them could say, hey, it just looked that way to us because they have said that. I think it was either Brennan or Clapper said that. I think on MSNBC, they just said, hey, this was just our opinion at the time of what it looked like. We weren't, we weren't really educated in it. So I'm not sitting here saying that any of these people are going to be hauled off to jail. Uh, I do think if there is another GOP president coming in here in 2025, every single person who signed that letter needs to have their security clearance stripped, every single one. And so whether or not that's Trump who does that, I don't even know. But whoever does that needs to come in and say, all right, uh, we're not going to really relitigate the 2020 election, although that to me was the funniest thing about Karine John-Pierre's statement today, where she said, you know, they're just trying to relitigate the 2020 election. And I'm like, that's exactly what you fucking guys are going to do. Like, you, you want nothing more than to have, like, the GOP relitigate the 2020 election. So they're dishonest on that. And so um, I, I do think you are going to see subpoenas issued in this, possibly Jim Jordan. Um, And of course, the GOP is going to blow this in grandstand, but you might see subpoenas issue for people like Tony Blinken and Clapper and Brennan and the bigger names on this just to see, okay, what did you guys know and when did you know and why did you push this out? Why did you knowingly lie? And I'm kind of with you, whether or not it's going to lead to anything, I don't know. But this compiled with, you know, Merrick Garland now reporting stalling Any investigation or any indictment under Hunter Biden, um, you you could possibly see an obstruction charge come out of this. And again, I don't know what how much the country has a taste for another impeachment or a special counsel, um, but I don't think that that's the point. I I think that the point is, okay if you're going to, you know, impeach a president over a over a weird shady phone call with a whistleblower who clearly met with Adam Schiff after Adam Schiff said that they didn't meet and this was clearly an orchestrated impeachment, Well, the the point is not to remove Joe Biden from the presidency, and the point is not to run on him in an electorate. The point is to just give him the asterisk and say, see, you're you're now an impeached president, too. And I really do think it's that simple. And I will say that, you know, as someone who's not part of the Republican Party, I'm sitting here still dismayed that this wasn't the number one topic discussed by Republicans today. And there might be a reason for that when you still have Kevin McCarthy out here talking about, you know, Uh, The debt ceiling and stuff in which I said on my podcast today, I don't think anybody gives a shit because we know that how this is going to go. You guys are going to argue back and forth. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre is going to accuse the GOP of going Judgment Day. Apparently she did that today. And then we know that like at 1230 Eastern uh, the night before, you guys are going to strike a deal. We've seen this all before. So I think it's something to watch. Um, obviously this is the, this is a problem with our media and this, and this is why this to me is the media angle is that clearly you had journalists who ignored, uh, the New York post being blocked on Twitter. They even cheerlead it. You had Jake Tapper saying, well, all you guys got to do is delete your story. And then of course you have Natasha Bertrand who went from Politico to CNN, largely over stories like this. And then you had Jen Psaki, who was a CNN contributor, who's now an MSNBC host knowingly pushing this out and now you have to ask because she was made press secretary how much did she know uh, about this and so there are a lot of media angles to this and it when you have you know a corporate media who is working in conjunction with an intelligence state and i still count these people as the intelligence state because they all still have their clearances and their connections um, it's a big fucking problem and it's one that's going to have to be confronted heading into this
2: I, I certainly agree with you on the, you know, severity and importance of the matter. My cynicism just really boils down to having seen so many of these supposed bombshells and them petering out that, that I just, I can't get too excited about them anymore other than going, okay, well, at least I'm not totally crazy. Um, the, the one thing I will say though, as far as trying to, Maximize that. It's to to people who want to be a little bit more strategic about things. um, It's going to be likely that if things get covered, they're going to be covered, you know, by by favorable outlets, you know, outlets that are more aligned with you politically. And you're going to want to try to refrain from oversharing those as your sources for this type of material. It's not true that other outlets won't cover the story. It is more true that they won't promote. their their coverage of the story. So what you'll wind up with is an accumulation of of almost the same set of facts being buried in, in one outlet over the you know outlet that you're favoring, and it's it's much better strategically if you share outlets that other people trust, even if you hate them, um, provided you can find the same details somewhere else. So if you can find, you know, if you can find something on CNN or or a, a NBC covering the same set of details, even if it's buried, that you want to share, do that instead of sharing something from Fox News or something like right.
0: that. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean that's a strategy I've been you know telling people to do for years on the podcast, which is you know if you're trying if you're if you're in a conversation or in a debate if you're arguing with somebody on Facebook whatever have you, you you don't use sources like Breitbart or Fox News even if that's what you believe even if that's um and, and today I opened my podcast with CBS News's coverage of this incident Catherine Herridge because it's it's a lot harder to uh write off when it's Catherine Herridge or CBS reporting on this because they obviously think it's big enough or CBS's motivation is well there you go we covered it we had a segment on it and now it's over with and so yeah i mean that's to me to me that's media diet 101 is if you're in a debate with someone you use sources they trust not sources you trust because it makes it a lot harder for them to write it off it's fine if that's where you
2: first discover the details but try to find the 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 backup ammo in order to um, you know build your arsenal if you're going to engage in these these debates if they're if you send them a fox news link, they're not going to read it (laughs) again like bright bart you said they're not going to read that so that's that's uh the last thing i'll say is um on the on the blue check thing now that i'm an important person on twitter and you're no longer an important person um really in all honesty i was tracking the blue check thing for multiple years and at no point in the last five years was it a serious um it was it taken seriously what it what it represented it was really just a a buddy system and in a very weird corrupt buddy system at that um there was there might there was one event i don't know if you remember. Where the CCP had basically had a a paid shill, a couple paid shills actually get get blue checks to to promote uh, propaganda, anti-U.S. propaganda directly, and and like this was during a period where supposedly, and it was you know you know pretty much bullshit, but supposedly Twitter didn't even allow new blue checks to be uh, to be on. There was a period where they closed down for several years the blue check process. You weren't supposed to be able to get one. Anymore because they were revamping it so, so you know, supposedly, but of course people were still getting them you know through favors and the CCP was even getting some and so a couple of these accounts popped up out of nowhere and they got they got caught because like they only had like 40 followers at the time that they got the blue check, <laughs> but um you know the 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 real utility that you got out of it functionality wise I think is is what you're missing you're missing out of it the most I don't think that it was that it actually verified people and gave them, you know, gave it the set of an authenticity. Like I understand that celebrities definitely want to try to say, I am the official account without having to have official in their handle or anything like that. But I don't think by and large the system as it existed nor any like, um, new one where you have to provide your, your, your photo ID in order to get the blue check would have necessarily fixed it. Cause that's, that's just human labor that I don't think is the system can manage. I just don't think that they're going to be able to, to do that. You'd need oversight and people spending time a couple hours looking into making sure that a person says, you know, are, is who they say they are. And I just don't think that's scalable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't care that he took it away. I don't care that he did any of that. I kind of care about, he doesn't, I mean, it's funny because he talks about how, you know, you're right that people were paying to get checks and, you know, largely old Twitter is responsible for that. But Elon Musk basically says, you know, there's an unfair, you know, hierarchy created by the blue check. So I'm taking those away and, and it's democracy for all power to the people. And then you learn he's, he's like paying LeBron James and other celebrities to keep their blue check to stay on the platform, which is pretty much exactly what he accused old Twitter of doing. And that's kind of what I mean when I wrote spectator, that he just, he makes up the kind of rules as he goes. And for the most part, most of them have negative effects. Um, I I look at it and I'm just like, well, it makes what I do harder. Um, I don't think I'm probably going to follow a ton of new, you know, more people um, it, I have to double check now when I'm looking at stuff like that. But like I said, you can either just accept that shit changes and move on with it and try to work with it or, or throw a hissy fit or whatever. And have like I said,
2: the list functionality.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to do that. I was looking at, you know, the, the, you know, the problem with that is just, you know, how many people I need to go over and like put on a list. And so yeah. Uh, and I've never I've never used, like, list functionality. Like, I just never have done it. I, I'm not an advanced Twitter user. I had, you know, my three columns, and I have the people I follow, and, that's, and then tweets that come across my timeline that I feel like engaging with, that's what I do. And so I'm probably going to employ a list function where, you know, these are the accounts I mostly follow or whatever like that. The problem with me doing that is most of the accounts I follow are accounts that, you know, I don't agree with or I don't like. So if I, like, try to put Dave Weigel on a list, he's probably going to block me. <laughs> so they can be um, private and they can be that's, private that's they don't listen- I said that this, this ultimately makes what i do or how i use twitter harder because the whole reason i got verified is it makes it harder for the people that i go after to write me off if i'm popping up in their verified mentions and now that those are gone it's just kind of like i have you know cat turd sixty seven eighty five popping up in Verify. and verified it's just kind of like all right well whatever um I also just think it's so just undignified to complain about it. So, I mean, I did one tweet where it was like, uh, but I was kind of just over it when he he started, when he's changing all the names of it. So it was, this is a verified legacy. Then it was, this is verified, or this is may or may not be notable. And then it was, this is verified because they either subscribe to Twitter, Blue or, or their legacy. And I'm just like, I just take it away at this point. I'm just like, just, this is so fucking stupid. Like these games. And that's what Musk does. He's kind of like an autistic guy who just can't – he's an engineer. And if you learn, you know, guys like Mark Zuckerberg, they can't not touch things for more than five minutes. And so they're constantly going in they're doing these things that may or may not be good or bad. And they're making bad decisions and then some good decisions. And then uh, it's never just leave the thing alone. It is where it is. Leave it alone. And that's not a – that's not an Elon Musk or a Zuckerberg thing. That is just who these guys are. And engineers, if you know any of them, they're built that way. It's They constantly have to be touching this thing <laughs> and and screwing with it uh, to make it how they think is better. And the problem is Elon Musk just isn't really a social or media or person or people person. So he doesn't really understand, I think, the dynamics that are created and going on with this stuff. Like, these are all things he should have, like, to me, thought about before he went ahead and did this, and that's not what he does. And so um, I guess I, I look at it and I just say, oh, well, this is where it is now, and I guess we'll see where it takes the platform. Um, I, I, I still think it was a bad idea. And, I, you know, he talks about how uh, the only way the only way to differentiate between bots or verify who is real or not is to pay for Twitter Blue, and we're taking away this column. And I'm like, there was already a system in place that would tell you these things. And so I look at it as just something that was completely unnecessary. He had to do it to generate revenue uh, because he purchased it. And two, I don't think he understands that it's all advertisers. You know, Twitter is a, you're the product on Twitter. And so I always kind of liked what, I think it was Jim Treacher, JTOL said, where he said, you know, Substack pays me to write. Elon Musk is telling me to pay him for the privilege to write. And that's pretty much how I look at it. And that's why I won't be purchasing Twitter Blue.
2: No, I mean everything you said is correct. I was, just, I'm just, I wanted to articulate that that really the way that that, that system existed was absolutely chaotic and didn't even come close to uh, matching what it was claimed to have been for. So destroying it, in my perspective, is whatever, <laughs> getting rid of the meaning. But uh, yeah, that's that's it. I uh, have a great day and uh, talk to you Thanks, later. Thanks,
0: Doctor. Uh, we'll just go into order. Joe, good to see you again. I think you always make the Friday night ones, but you don't make the other ones.
3: Hey, Stephen. Yeah, been a while. Good to talk to you, too. So um, before I get into my main point, hands down the funniest thing that happened this week was from Ben Collins um, with his little hissy fit meltdown. And the cream of the crop of it was him posting that uh, photo from that scene from Goodwill Hunting with the how about them apples scene. Yeah, Um, against
0: Amber Assey, who is, uh, she's she's not one of my editors, but she's an editor at Spectator, just
3: so we know. For me, what really made that scene funny was just the so many levels of irony that it existed on. It's like, he thinks he's Matt Damon in that scene, but what he really is, is that blonde-haired, you know, ponytail jock from the, the bar where he goes around and he memorizes historians' passages from these textbooks, and he passes it off as his own knowledge. <laughs> if that isn't a perfect summation of what Ben Collins does every single day, where he yeah. goes on Reddit and he memorizes something and passes it along as fact, it's like it, it, that was just perfect for me because of the, the meta irony that it existed on.
0: Yeah, this, he was always a guy... And of course he's he's of course raised he's risen to kind of shithead prominence uh especially over the last year. And he was always a guy and he was always on my radar and because he was a guy who he, when he went to NBC, I think he was over at Slate or Vice or one of those, and he goes to NBC and he starts covering 4chan. And as someone who's kind of formerly part of internet subcultures for years, just someone who who grew up with the internet, you know, when, you know, the internet became pretty prevalent, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003, in, in those times, and that's when forums became big. And that's when like, ain't it cool news exploded, and everyone was got a forum there. And that's when Reddit kind of came. So I was always one of these people who I was just kind of jacked into that stuff. It was interesting to me. And um, so someone who's been a part of kind of some a lot of those subcultures, you notice when a guy who's a journalist doesn't fucking understand a single, like when he's talking about what chan is, you're just like, did you just, did you just look at this yesterday for the first time? Do you, un- you understand um, like kind of the, just the, the layers of irony upon irony upon irony of what shit posting is. And I mean, people have probably recognized with me with the style that I brought over to Twitter and, he was an interesting one because he's, you're right, he's a guy who comes in and he's like, I learned about 4chan yesterday and now I'm an expert on it. He, he thinks he's Neil from The Matrix, where they just plug a thing into his head and all of a sudden he knows Kung Fu. And he's, he's parlayed that into a, uh, a career of being exactly what you said. He's the guy where he just, he finds out about something or he steals something from, you know, an internet forum that he's been surfing for at NBC and he passes it off as uh, I'm trying to be kind of one of the cool kids. One of the things I've realized with Ben Collins is there's nothing more that he wants in the world right now than to be a substack writer. It's funny to me that he is kind of the face of NBC News corporate media as far as social media is concerned. And so, like, even Taylor Lorenz has a substack. And even some of these tech writers have sub- and, and yet he's kind of stuck here writing a piece a week for NBC News. And that's kind of really how I looked at it. And then the other thing you learn about him is he hasn't covered the disinformation beat pretty much at all since November when Musk took over. And when you put two and two together, you realize, and one of the things he's so pissed at Elon Musk, the where he's willing to show his ass on things like rockets and rocket science and engineering, is that you learn that he's not the shoe leather style reporter. Most internet reporters aren't. He was dependent upon information being sent to him via inside of Twitter, probably from sources like the Gad and Noel Roth and others. And when Musk escorted all of those people out of the building, Collins and Zdrosny and people on this disinformation beat, which is really just a Twitter beat. It's really a social media beat. Um, they lost all of their sources. And so now it's what do we do now? Because you're not in, you're not in, ingenious enough to go out and do your own reporting on this stuff or try to get in and try to get information out of what's actually happening in Twitter. Um, you're just dependent on people giving you things. And that's not really good journalism. That's just you sitting there. Hey, someone got a story for me. I noted that this one of the people who pioneered the style of journalism was Andrew Kaczynski from BuzzFeed. This is a guy who literally just trawled Reddit in his earlier days at BuzzFeed, looked for stories he'd found on Reddit, and then he would then go and turn those into BuzzFeed stories. And he was even called out on this on Reddit. And that's how Andrew Kaczynski got misidentified the Boston bombing suspect wrong is because he would looked on Reddit and then it came across his feed with a random Twitter account. and He was so confident that it was right that he promoted it and he put it out there and Oh, oops, you just may have led to the suicide of a guy. And so I, it, it has been so rare that I've met someone so confident in his own bullshit than Ben Collins. He really is kind of a miracle. And you're right. I commented on the goodwill hunting meme, like, he didn't like, what are you doing? Like Amber Athley wrote about him. And then I had a piece this week about him in examiner and he's posting this. How do you like them apples? I got your number. And I'm kind of like, do you, you don't know again, like you said, what, what's the context of the meme you're posting here? He's just putting it up there and he's impressing his fellow Brooklyn journalists who also don't know what the fuck that they're doing about online culture. And so it's, it's frustrating. It's hilarious. Um, but the ultimate thing is you realize that this is a guy who is pretty much completely miserable online since he can't write about what's happening
3: yeah and he was also probably i don't know 2 years old when that movie came out so <laughs> yeah. it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't get he was it. 2 years
0: old when 4chan was created <laughs> like it's so it's so to us older you know and by the way just just for the room i'm 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 what's considered an old fag And what that means is like someone who is originally steeped in some 4chan stuff or a lurker or what have you that is that doesn't get it anymore because I don't I don't visit 4chan anymore. I I kind of got over it when it was taken over even by ironic shitposting Nazis. I'm just kind of like, "Eh." I know you guys are mostly joking and you're trolling. But and that's pretty much all 4chan is It's just dudes trying to troll each other. That's all it really is. And it's just how do you how do you keep upping the ante? And as it turns out, one dude was so brazen of trolling his other fellow four channers that he's now going to federal prison for leaking classified documents. <laughs> it's like you have to admire that move a little bit. Um, but, yeah, so a guy like me is kind of called an old fag. And that, so when you see a reporter come along and I, and that's why I keep that clip of Brooke Baldwin in my intro from 2016, when the peppy memes were all over the place and they basically 4chan just discovered Twitter and they brought that onto Twitter. And you had all of these journals and you even had people like David French like, oh, this is the most horrible thing in the world. We have to write about this. And I've talked about how when I was at National Review, I'm like, no, David, you really don't you don't really have to write about them. They don't care. Like that's all they want. And that was, that was really one of the first breaks in national review where I was like the one guy in an editorial room going, guys, don't write about this stuff. They're, they're begging you to do it. That's, that's the whole thing. They don't care that, uh, they don't care about the memes you're posting, like the oven memes and shit like that. All they care about is that you guys right now are sitting here talking about it. And you're, you're now going to go off and spend three hours writing a 600 word piece about it. That's, all they want from you. They're just doing it for the lulls, literally. And then you see someone again, like Collins come along, who was so confident in his own <laughs> naivete, where y- you just kind of tilt your head at him and you go, where are you getting this from? And of course, he's someone who doesn't really answer. Um, but yeah, he had himself a, just a miracle of a week, whether it was you know Elon Musk or saying that Dell Cameron getting suspended from Wired, um, was the same as the New York Post. And like, as he's someone who knows the difference. He just, he's just dishonest about
3: it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And then uh, just my, my final point tonight, and I'll hand it off to Opie. Um, so with, with today, I mean, this is just uh, the primary, the GOP presidential primary is quickly turning into the most LOL, nothing matters primary anymore, doesn't it seem. You know, because yesterday you had half the Florida delegation endorse Trump and the biggest thing they got out of it, the nicest thing they got out of it was a nice steak dinner because Trump then proceeded today to shit all over the state um, and just basically call it a, a hell hole. And it's just like, I mean, 2016 Trump, you know, he threw his haymakers, but there definitely did feel like a purpose to them. This time around, this is just, this to me, just why I call it the LOL Nothing Matters primary is just because this just feels incredibly scorched earth and just no, not a care in the world. It doesn't matter that he's going to, you know, compliment Gavin Newsom. It doesn't matter that he's going to attack DeSantis from the left. It doesn't matter that he's going to take XYZ position or you know retro uh you know give a retro history on lockdowns as you say he's probably going to you know parrot rebecca jones before long and probably have her as a surrogate um it just like he's just he's just completely going at it without any kind of with reckless abandon um just you know through sheer force of will and it's just been it's been interesting to see but it's also just been kind of sad as to what the implications have been and it's just um you know yeah just with with the the whole development yesterday between the florida delegation and today with trump's post to just shitting all over the state um <laughs> it's been kind of funny
0: so i have i mean i have a few thoughts about it. you're right that it's not so much that it doesn't matter because i i kind of i try i try to get away from nothing lol nothing matters here because it does kind of matter um I, I've taken a mostly observational point of view of this because um, I don't doubt you're right that Trump can do all of this, and it might not. You're right that it might not matter. Is let me let me rephrase that in the sense of you know you see kind of people who are either pro DeSantis or anti Trump, especially on Twitter. They're fighting with people every fucking day, and they're fighting with Trump's influencers, and they're fighting pro Trump. And I've said this on the podcast. I just kind of want to pull them aside and go, what are you doing? Like, y- you know that, that they don't care. You can use uh, Trump's Jordan Belfort influencer quotes about DeSantis. You can do any of that. Um, I, I think it was uh, one of those guys today did the, did a montage of Trump talking about how great Florida was and how great DeSantis was. And if you were if you were around and really steep in 2016 about what Trump was doing in the media, Um, you, I guess I look and I say I've learned and I'm not cynical about it, but I'm just, I've learned that you can't argue. And Shane Gillis, the comedian had, if you haven't seen it, he does a great bit about Trump where he's the only guy who's never answered a question in a debate and he's never lost a debate. So, and he jokes about it, and he's like, you know, Mr. Trump, do you realize that, that you can throw fact upon fact upon fact upon fact upon quote at him, and he'll just go, no, fake news, and he'll get a standing ovation. And what, once you learn that that's the dynamic here, you kind of learn to stop fighting with these assholes. You're just like, look, the GOP base will either go for this again, or they won't. And it really is that simple. Now, DeSantis has yet to declare. And so it looks like there's just this barrage happening at him. There's the media writing piece after hit piece, after hit piece, after hit piece about him. Um, You have Trump just going after him on true social and, you know, shitting all over the state of Florida now. And people are highlighting the contradiction. And I'm like sitting here going, guys, they don't care. They don't care. So what's the point? I guess I look at it and I say none none of this really matters until DeSantis announces and then we get to see what kind of ads he starts running against Trump. That's it. How, you know, how DeSantis, and I think that it's interesting that he remains so silent on it because I don't think he's a guy that wants to remain silent. DeSantis, to me, if you know anything about him, if you've read anything about him, he's very fucking competitive. Like, this is a guy who's a college baseball captain. And so I'm assuming he's probably just sitting there going, I want to nuke this motherfucker off the earth tomorrow. And he probably has people like, No, 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 don't do it. Just keep the powder dry. Because nothing really matters what Trump is saying about DeSantis until DeSantis actually gets in the race and then he starts hitting Trump daily with, Why didn't you fire Anthony Fauci? And that's when Trump's real meltdown begins. And that's when he's like, I fucked your wife and or whatever. And that to me is the only thing that matters right now. The only thing that matters right now is what happens if DeSantis or when DeSantis gets in the race. And day two, uh, what what are the ads he releases? How does he go after trial or whatever? Because to me, it really is that simple. It's like, dude, you just did whatever Anthony Fauci told you to. That's it. And Trump will go absolute ballistic nuclear. And like I said, the GOP base might go for it again. They might not whatever. But to me, like, it's obvious the writing is on the wall that you have the political left telling you what they're doing. Matt Lewis of the bulwark style wing of GOP and the Lincoln Project are all telling you what they want to have happen. You have Joe Biden company telling you what they want to have happen. And I guess I, I'm at the point now where I'm just like, is the GOP base going to go for this again? Are you guys really going to do this again? And they might, in which case Batman begins. I'm out cut the subway car and i'm out the back of it and so I, i'm with you i'm kind of just sitting back and I, and I offer thoughts on twitter and i'm just kind of like but i don't offer them from a position that i'm going to change anyone's mind <laughs> so I, I offer them mostly like you in the sense of just like you're right i mean he doesn't care trump the thing you have to get down to it is I guess you have to look at and you have to say, and I've said this, is why is Trump running again? Does he even know? And I wrote that at Spectator. Like, does he even actually know why he's running again? Because his current campaign isn't, see, I told you so. Look at inflation. Look at the economy. Look at social justice shit running out of control. And look at the transvestites. Lots of transvestites. Um, And he's not doing that. He is just trying to run to the left of Ron DeSantis. And I've said that if that works, you're going to enter a general election where Trump and Biden are almost identical on issues, because Trump's not going to be able to really back you know I mean he will. But then it comes down to, okay, if these two guys are sort of alike now, where they don't want to cut entitlements and all of this stuff, and, hey, lay, lay off corporations hiring people like Dylan Mulvaney and all of this stuff, then it's going to come down to who's going to be the quietest person for the next four years? who I don't have to worry about is screaming into their social media network at, at you know, at three o'clock in the morning. And it really is that simple to me. If the election is a referendum on Trump, the GOP is going to have a problem. If the election is a referendum on Joe Biden, I think it's a different issue. So I, I'm with you. I, I just I don't get involved in this shit. I did all of that in 2016 and I took all the arrows for it and I see the same thing happening. And part of me sees the writing on the wall. Part of me doesn't. Um, But you're kind of right. Like he's out here using progressive George Soros back, progressive talking points. Um, And, and, you know, I see guys going blue in the face over it. And I'm just like tapping them on the shoulder going, guys, they don't care. They don't care. We'll see if it works or not. I don't know if it does. Um, But to me, if you're DeSantis, your strategy is very, very simple. It's not, To me, it's not even the Florida blueprint. We kept Florida free. We'll do the same for America, which it feels like that's where he's going. To me, it's very simple. You look at Donald Trump and you say, you did whatever Anthony Fauci told you to. And that's it. And just watch him lose his fucking.
4: Yeah, Here's, here's hoping we'll see what happens.
3: All right. Well, hey, it was great speaking with you tonight, Stephen. I'm going to return to Resident Evil 4. And I'm gonna hand it over to Obi so I did, for a report so on God's I, country. I did, by <laughs> the way. I did get
0: Resident Evil Four, um, cool. and then I realized why I don't play those games because I I have the worst fucking aim in the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I even playing on assisted mode. Um, it, it's 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 gore- It's a gorgeous looking game. It's creepy as fuck. Um, but I realized, okay, why does it take four shots in the head to kill this dumb goon? Like this dumb fucking guy who's not even like a boss. It's just a dude coming at me, and I have to shoot three rounds of this dude in the head. And the thing, if you know about Resident Evil, is you ammo comes, you know, sparse. Like it just doesn't drop everywhere. And so I'm always hesitant to just even use three shots. And I'm like, why do I have to use a gun on this dude three times? And so I'm gonna get I'm right now just past the opening and so I'm at kind of the weird Mad Max Waterworld style hook and ladder village. And that's I always get wasted when I get up to the top. Um the other part I I struggle with is I don't like playing as a backstreet boy. And it's 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 hard. Like I'm like this is not a police officer. This dude has like Brett Anderson's haircut circa 1997 suede which I did too by the way but I'm sitting here just kind of like I'm playing as a backstreet boy this is this is a little I can't get really into this um, but it is like the graphics are great on it of course the jump scares and I don't know if I told you I actually I actually a couple of years ago I bought the 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 uh, VR the the PlayStation VR headset I got it as a gift. And I did play the VR Resident Evil and that was literally one that just made me jump out of my skin on a couple of things. And I never even finished that one. I got I think I got to a stage where I ran out of ammo in a basement and the dudes kill me and I couldn't go back without starting over. And so I did get Resident Evil four. I'm I'm only like a couple stages into it. I do plan on playing it. Um but I just realized how bad I am at the at like the aiming shooting games. I just end up like missing and then I'm like wasting six bullets on one dude. And then it's a knife. And then it's a, then it's a monkey knife fight.
3: Just wait until you encounter John Fetterman in the game, because trust me, you'll know it when you do. Is he not the guy with the bag over his head and the chainsaw? No, 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 that's not him. No, there's a there's a certain character in a dungeon later on in the game who, um, let's just say, displays um, erratic tendencies. You'll know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm trying to get through it. I just I'm not very good at it, even Assisted. So I'll it's a of depressing because, <laughs> like, what was it? Resident Evil Two was one of my favorite like PlayStation games. Whatever the one with the giant fucking alligator that comes down the hallway at you. And I spent three days trying to figure it out. And then this is the day before the internet where you could just Google how do you beat the giant alligator, or whatever. Oh, you shoot the pipe and burn him to death. Um like that Resident Evil 2 and that's the one with the monster that just jumps out of the wall at you so I haven't had a lot of jump scares yet um I'm just I'm just realizing how how bad I am at, at the game and that's that's a hard thing to admit once you know it's it's kind of an athlete starting to retire so whatever
3: all good man all right I'll talk to you later
0: all right good luck we'll go through uh running a little bit over, but we'll go through to uh, Titmouse at the end there. Uh, Opie, good to see you again. Go ahead. Hey, Stephen.
5: Mine's more culture. Uh, You're one of the few people who I actually trust on music taste, because most people's music taste is horrible. Um, And you actually improved mine back when I was in college. Um, I wanted. There's really two albums this year that have caught my interest. I mean, Tennis has a great album, so does uh, Margot Price, and I'm really looking forward to Jason Isbell's new album, but I've been really interested on in your take on Eve's Tumor's new album as he completes his transition into Prince. <laughs> and then, um, and it's probably it maybe my favorite album of the year outside of Unknown Mor- Mortal or- Orchestra. But then there's also, there's also Boy Genius. And I like Lucy, I like Julian, I like Phoebe independently, but I've realized that together, they are Nepo- Neapolitan ice cream if every flavor was vanilla. I, I I don't know what it's with when they all get together. I just, the, the record, whatever they called it, was a dud for me. I mean, there were parts I liked, but people just hyped it. I think, I think it just got overhyped.
0: So, boy, genius, I can't bring myself to listen to because of the mainstream hype behind them. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully admitting that I'm fully admitting that's what it is. I'm kind of just like, Oh, Rolling Stone is promoting these guys as the next big, like indie. Th-. And I'm just like, no, okay. I, I, I'm sure I will give it a listen. Eventually. Um, I it's, haven't, it's I, it's funny you talk about yeast tumor as a transition to Prince. Cause I'm not an yeast tumor fan. I, I find it overproduced. It's noisy. It's not, it's not stripped down. It should, it should be more simple to me. Um, I find the music difficult if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. so I know that the, I know that he has an album out and I, one of my, one of my better friends loves Eve's tumor, like swears by him. And I'm just kind of like, shut up, you know? Um, so it's one I'll give a listen to. I, I, you know, usually bands like that around or the guy like that, uh, I'll give him a chance, but if like four songs in, I'm, if I'm not sold on it, I'm gone. Um, I had someone last week ask me like, what are some of my favorite albums this year? And as as I mentioned, I'll just kind of repeat is I don't have any right now because I'm mainly, I talked to John Gabriel and I'm like, I'm kind of getting a lot into outlaw country right now. So um, you should go pick up a guy named Benjamin Todd. He's awesome. And I'm listening to a lot of him and it's not going to surprise me if this dude is dead by a heroin overdose by the end of the year. Um, But it's, it's, the country that isn't about shit kicking, drinking beer, and I knew that. It's, you know, it's, um, my girlfriend left me and I'm doing
5: heroin now. <laughs> um, it's a so real Alabama versus fake Alabama. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. I wouldn't even, it's like West, it's, yeah, it's like Oklahoma. It's not even Alabama. It's like Texas, Oklahoma style okay. outlaw country, New Mexico. Um, I actually had people speaking of just obnoxiously mainstream. I had people asking me about Zach Bryan and I was like, Zach Bryan now got himself in a controversy because he came out and defended Dylan Mulvaney. And that doesn't surprise me because he does feel like an Austin style lib country artist. Um, And I'm really hot and cold on him. There's a, there's some of the stuff I really love. And then some of the stuff I'm just like, do I want to drop money on this concert? You know, kind of thing. Stephen, my thing so, is like
5: I'm so against a thirty whatever song album. I'm just it, an album needs to be a max hour length.
0: Yeah, I can't
5: do a thirty. And I, I think, and Stephen, you're like me. Like when I find a new artist, I am mortified when I see how many monthly Spotify listeners they have. Over, <laughs> I'm just oh, dang it! I thought I think they, there's I thought a good it was,
0: balance though. Like the like if you go and look at the Antlers, the Antlers have a pretty healthy following on on Spotify but nobody knows about them. And the antlers are maybe my favorite band of the last five years. I absolutely fucking love the antlers and they have, they actually have a new song out and that's encouraging because the lead singer, the guy who created the antlers is going deaf. Like he has a degenerative ear condition from just playing loud music his whole life. And so he, they're going to stop putting out music. They were supposed to stop two albums ago and now they have a new album. And now they're releasing singles. And I'm like, God, thank you. Fucking thank you. Um, the one that I would recommend to you is a band called Paranoia. And it's a, they are an Indian band that is basically kind of like a Seager Rose ripoff. So they're spelled P A R A N N O U L. And I would say go give those guys a shot because it's certainly the most inter- It's so far the most interesting album of the year I've listened to. I don't know if it's the best, it's, it's good. But it's it's kind of like a
5: more foreign poppy Seeger Ross. That's the only way I can put it too. Okay. Okay. And so well, I'm in the like, I'm in the weird stuff. My other favorite band is a Taiwanese funk band, and then King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard will, I'm sure, release six albums this year, so I'm just waiting for them. Yeah. Um, go go
0: give Paranol a, a shot and then report back. But that's really as far as interesting albums of the year so far, that's really the only one. I said I had someone ask me like a couple of weeks ago, like, what what are your favorite albums of the year so far? And I'm like, you know, it's weird that it's almost May and I don't have a single one yet. Like I just don't. And part of it is I haven't been, you know, digging into albums. I've been digging more into songwriters mm-hmm. um, and listening and kind of going back and listening to some of their stuff. Um but yeah, I, I just don't have a favorite album yet. And and the other thing is, a lot of the year... Usually by this time of the year, I have one or two that I've been listening to forever. Like, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah a couple of years ago. I had one out in January, and I was still just going crazy with that one. And I just don't have one yet. I'm in a really... I'm 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 in a weird, different headspace musically than I think I was even a year ago. Where, like I said, I'm I'm trying to find these really obscure, drunken outlaw country dudes. You know, guys who are like Orville Peck but serious. Yeah, <laughs> not like putting on a persona. And so those are those are a lot of people. Like, just I mean, I just kind of discovered Justin Towns Earl this past year. Oh, oh, oh
5: yeah, he's great. Yeah, I, and I, I saw him. Thing. I saw him I'm a music,
0: I'm kind of a music snob, and I'd always heard his name. Um, but I just kind of like Spotify has a whole, this is thing for him. So I'm going back and I'm listening to that. And as I'm five songs, six songs into it, I'm like, I bet this dude died of drugs. And then you go and Google and I'm like, oh yeah, he did. He died of drugs last year or two years ago or whatever. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not really going album to album. So part, part of that's just where my headspace is. Part of that's kind of what I'm look, where I'm looking at moving um And so there's a lot of that kind of happening right now. But yeah, I mean, I was I was like kind of weirdly embarrassed to admit how much I loved Lord Huron a couple years ago, just because of how obnoxiously Coachella mainstream they are. It's the white girl in the
5: cowboy hat. uh, Yeah, they're
0: they're the band you hear when you walk into Urban Outfitters, you know. But they're so I'm sorry, they're fucking good. Okay, part of it is I don't think like the Coachella audience really gets how dark some of their shit is. Um. And so that's kind of where I am with Zach Bryan, where I'm kind of like, I get how popular this dude is. I get he's like the new country all-star and like you talk. And then part of me's like, you know what? He's got some pretty good fucking tunes. Like he's got some good, you know, um, I'm no good and, you know, you're good for leaving me and whatever. And I'm just getting drunk. And, and that, I like that kind of outlaw country. I think there needs to be a return to it. So... Well, I mean, you love Fleet Foxes, and Fleet Foxes are famous. So it's, yeah, you can lie, yeah you've they're been tor- like Fleet Foxes is like borderline mainstream. TV. People who know music know who Fleet Foxes are. Right. But, but that's, th- and Fleet Foxes is a complete band you hear walking into Urban Outfitters. And yes. And then people think it's Animal Collective. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm just, it's weird that it's almost May, and I'm looking
5: at like my best of the year,
0: and I don't have a single album in there yet.
5: Well, I just wanted to get your take. Uh, you, um, you, the the Conservatarians days expanded my knowledge a lot. So, want to get your take? That was all me, by the way. Um, I, when
0: when John Gabriel asked me, you know, not to badmouth John, but when he, when he asked me if I would do a podcast, I said yes, but I kind of said here here are a couple things. Here's a couple things that I would want because I'd never done a podcast before. And so I said, if I want to do it, um, the, I made two requests. One was that when, we, when the podcast enters, we're already like having a conversation. So if you know, and I've kind of carried that over to Versus Media, where it, I, I hate the, welcome to the podcast, or the things of the dudes, and here we go, and 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 response by. I always said to John, I wanted to be like, you walk up and sit down at a table where two people are already having a conversation, and it's kind of like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And that to me is like a conversational podcast. And then the other thing I said to John was, I want to do like a musical pick of the week, which he was all, he was completely down for. So, but yeah, that was my idea. You can credit me that and don't tell him I
5: said that. All right. uh, We'll be glad to. All right. You have a good night, Steven. Enjoy your your
0: burma. Take care. I'm not that much into it. Like, I think I've mostly just livened up just because I'm awake now. Like I'm actually like doing physical brain activity. And so I'm not like, you know, a vegetable from getting the shit kicked out of me all week. So, it's not well, the bourbon. I, I've, I've I literally had, a, had, like, one bourbon,
5: so that's it. Well, we had a knockoff Westboro Baptist Church protest near my house today, so nice. I'll be diving into the bourbon tonight. Nice. <laughs> did you go talk to them at all? Did you just go, hey, what's going on out um, here? I, I went out with my uh, Dylan Mulvaney poster and uh,
0: <laughs> um, went and talked to them.
5: I went with my Bud Light and uh, went and asked what they were doing.
0: What's going on out of here? <laughs> Yeah, the the political extremes never fail for humor. That's for sure. All right, you have a good night, man. Cheers. I'd like I said, we'll go. If Shoshido wants to jump back up there, I saw that she had to jump off. She was maybe cooking something, but if you if she wants to jump out, I'll make her next. But go ahead, Robert. Good.
1: Hey, great to see you. Um, uh, I have noticed that. Yes, uh, another uh, GOP. Uh, 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 Runner has announced in Larry Elder, and I love his policy stances. Um, but uh, he is, you know, at least I guess up until this week, you know, uh, clung so tight to Trump and Trumpism uh, that uh, I, I don't know if uh, if I would still be as enthusiastic um, uh, especially uh, the moment Ron DeSantis announces because uh, I'm I'm kind of on the scorched earth uh, mode uh, this time around
0: what do you mean by scorched earth are you talking like pro Trump scorched earth or just pro GOP scorched to earth or, or what do you mean exactly
1: well, You know, considering, uh, you know, my my circumstances uh, and uh, and before, you know, and and up all the way from uh, the time I could vote, uh, even through 2020, uh, my presidential voting uh, success record uh, is like Pedro Serrano uh, in Major League uh, batting O for the century, but with several foul tips. And uh, and I'm not one to just want to hop on the bandwagon just because I think someone will win. But I want someone who, even if they're not as libertarian as I would like, someone who is competent and would clean house in Washington, D.C., on day one, and uh, and if you know, I can't get someone with the last name of Paul uh, to be that man. Um, I, I you know believe uh, Ron DeSantis very much can fill that role. Um, uh, but I will say this to the GOP um, voter base: uh, if the, if they go with uh, Donald Trump again. Um, I will very contentedly, uh, vote libertarian one more time before I leave this rock and, uh, uh <laughs> and just, uh, you know, not give a damn if, uh, Biden slash Harris slash Buttigieg wins. Um, uh, R- Robert, you offer a, a
0: sobering hopelessness that most of us think deep down inside about politics. So that's good. Um, <laughs> my thing with Larry Elder announcing it's it's similar to I kind of just shrugged at it. I was like, eh, OK, it's Asia Hutchinson announcing it's huh, OK. I still don't think that there is a crowded enough. Field, and I've said this, that similar to 2016, where they they learned the hard way, which is you have a crowded field that splits a a plurality of votes for Trump. Because Trump never won a majority, really, of primaries. He won a plurality. So because there were six, seven, eight candidates, they all split the field, and then he took 35% of the vote. And the math added up to where it was like, okay, if you just had Ted Cruz, for example, and if only Kasich and Bush and Rubio and uh, and the rest of them dropped out, that percentage would go to Cruz and that would put him over and that would be it. Except then you learn that a small percentage of that actually goes to Trump. And so, as I said, this, this go around, there's not going to be four alternatives to Trump. There's going to be one alternative to Trump. And obviously, I'm not trying to be glib and I'm not trying to, you know, mask who I think that is. Of course, the polling already tells you who that is. And so when you see pollings out there where Trump is up like 46 to DeSantis, 38. And then you see Haley is sitting at five and Tim Scott is sitting at three. Those are the two when you look at you go, okay, well, if you two drop out, that's eight percent that would go to DeSantis. That makes him one below Trump, which is margin of error. So when I see Asia Hutchinson jump in, I'm just like, eh, whatever. And when I see Larry Elder jump in, I'm like, eh, whatever. When I see Vivek Ramazay, Andrew Yang jump in, I'm like, eh. So, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of these are vanity exercises there. You have to realize we're still still just about nine, ten months away from Iowa, um, in which case Haley might not even still be in the race by then. And so, as I've said, there's not going to be six alternatives to Trump this time. There's going to be one alternative. I truly believe it is a two-person race, no matter how many people jump in. And so, you saw Mike Pompeo wisely look at his internals and go, well, fuck, I'm not going to get above three. Even, even if I'm sitting at one and I go out to Iowa and I say all the right things, no, it is very clear. It is a two-person race, and it will be from the day that if DeSantis should announce or when he announces, it's going to be a two-person race. And when you saw this adjusted uh, fundraising for Haley where she said she brought in 11 mil, and then it turns out her campaign double counted, and she's actually only brought in $5 million in the month that she's announced – And she hasn't moved the needle. And and in full honesty, I would be fine with Nikki Haley as a nominee. I think she would beat Biden. But I also recognize the reality of the situation that this is someone who most likely missed her moment. She's most likely running for either Trump or DeSantis VP. I don't think I see her as a DeSantis VP, but maybe she could be a secretary of state or something like that. But she's someone who might she she very much to me looks kind of like Kamala Harris. I'm not saying she is Kamala Harris. I'm saying that it's a similar campaign where she comes in, generates a ton of buzz, generates a ton of headlines. And then by Iowa, she's run out of money and she's done. And that's it. And so I look at this as a two-person race. And Elder, to me, isn't someone who moves a needle. Asia Hutchinson is just trying to get on Meet the Press Chris Sununu, maybe. Liz Cheney, maybe he's going to jump in. Even Again, these are all people who aren't going to draw 3% in a primary. I do think the groundwork and I do think voters, GOP primary voters, understand it is a one alternative race. You're either going to get Trump or you're going to get an alternative. And there aren't going to be six alternatives. It's this one guy. So what are you going to do? Um.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, I do have thoughts on someone angling uh, for VP, um, and uh, that uh, would be uh, Glenn Youngkin. And I think the CNN town hall was not necessarily his way of, you know, really making a serious bid for the presidency, but people want a vice president that's a, a little more bland. But I, I see in Youngkin and DeSantis very similar policy alignment. Um, whereas you know DeSantis can be you know Hitler six and uh, Youngkin can wear the sweater and. Uh, play, uh, I call the away games, Uh, you know, I mean, playing at CNN is an away game. I mean, we, we, you know, pretty much all know that whoever can win the Fox, you know, the Fox news viewership uh, is pretty much the, the nominee, Uh, you know, so, you know, Fox news is really the the one channel you better win over big time. um, uh, At least the general Audience, um, but I feel like someone who can not necessarily make the kind of waves that a DeSantis can, but uh, would play, uh, you know, uh, uh, er- you know, just play error-free small ball baseball uh, as a, ve- a vice presidential running mate and. Uh, you know, we all know that Virginia is a very crucial, uh, state, uh, if the GOP could pick that up in 2024. Um, so I, I think Youngkin, uh, might make, uh, you know, almost like a good cop, bad cop duo with DeSantis. So that's my, uh, uh, punditry for tonight. Uh, and I can, uh pass it off to Andrew, but, uh, appreciate you, Stephen.
0: Thanks, Robert. Um, I mean, Yunkin's an interesting guy in the sense that, you know, he's a, he was elected in a blue state running primarily on social and cultural issues like education, for example. Um, And I mean, to debate who's going to be a running mate at this point is just it's academic. It doesn't really matter. Um, But he he is an interesting guy politically because he is just vanilla. And him, like Kemp in Georgia, suggests that politically people might want vanilla. And I think that that might be something that even hurts Trump in a primary. People just might be tired of the noise. And so we'll see. I, I don't know how realistic like a DeSantis Youngin Ticket would be just electorally. Um, But uh, you do pose an interesting theory for it as far as like good cop, bad cop. But I mean, that's kind of what Trump Pence was. I mean, that's pretty much the definition of
1: bad cop, good cop.
0: (laughs) So Pence is another one who's like hovering at 3%. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Um, So it would be interesting. I mean, I think that there are other names out there and I I don't even think some of them are even on the radar. I, I would say, That one to watch, at least, and I would even argue for either, for anyone who's the GOP nominee, I wouldn't even be looking at someone like Nikki Haley. I'd be looking at someone like Kim Reynolds, who's the governor of Iowa. Um, She's someone who is kind of uh, one of those, you know, uh, sleeper card people who's done a good job with her state and is someone that, you know, obviously Iowa is a pretty important state. And. She's also someone who is just kind of her name is just kind of floated around orbit of all of these kind of electoral politics. So um, Youngkin's future to me is interesting because he's already bowed out of the race. He's basically said, I'm not running for president, whatever, um, in which case he's he's obviously termed out as governor. Youngkin, to me, might end up being someone like Nikki Haley, where they just miss their moment. It's it's nobody's fault. They're a good politician. They have good sound policies. Um, they're, uh, attractive to an electorate. They're well-spoken, they're articulate, uh, they're not past their prime, but he's someone who's just turned out after his governor, after his term, and he could end up just kind of missing the moment. So we'll see. Um, it's, it's definitely not something that's out of the realm of possibility, but, uh, Robert, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and boot you now and I'm going to move over to Kerfuffle. So good to, good to hear from you again. Thanks, Stephen.
1: Cheers. Cheers.
0: All right, Kerfuffle. What are you making everyone for dinner tonight?
6: Hey, Stephen. Ignore my. Uh-oh, ignore. Now you have to answer. No, the phone. no. It's my. It's my landline. Um. You have a landline. I do.
0: Why do you I have do. a landline?
6: Because where I live is in a gap in um, the cell phone coverage.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Is it the same number or a different number?
6: No, it's the number I've had like. Ever since everyone had landlines. Okay. So, and the other reason, actually, is there's um, certain laws in which you're protected if you're speaking on a landline, and you're not protected if you're speaking uh, over airwaves, which is what cell phones are.
3: Well,
0: that's good to know.
6: Yeah. And so for certain, um, you know, like, for example, not that this is relevant for me, but um they can't tap your phone without a warrant, but they can listen on your cell phone calls without a warrant. This so is,
0: this is good information.
6: It's always good to know. Yeah.
0: that on your mind? And thanks for jumping back.
6: You know, before I I mention anything, um, a couple of things. I I think Kim Reynolds of Iowa is the running mate if um, if DeSantis wins. He he's really likes her a lot. They're sort of like governor buddies. Um, and, the, and Iowa's important as well, but I think it's mostly that they just get along. Um, the other thing is people should know that Colin had a breach, a data breach in January, and your email address that you used with Colin uh, is on the dark web. And if that's important to you, if it shares your email with important... Um, Accounts, maybe leave the calling one as it is and change your important accounts to a new email address. You're all screwed. Like that. I
0: have your data.
6: You're all screwed. Okay, so um, honestly, you know, when you started talking, I have to admit that this is. You know how you say that uh, it's late night therapy for libs? The late night talk shows. Colbert. Now? Yeah. Yeah. This is my late. This is my therapy. This is my, I'm so, so, so angry at so much injustice. You, you did, and you at least you I can listen to you, you get, get angry for me.
0: On Monday, though, we had, we had a really good caller who was like thinking I was going to go gung-ho and defend the FBI. And I was like, no, we hate the FBI. Next. And that was pretty much the end of it.
6: No, I listen on that. You, you have your, um, when I can't make it, it goes to my podcatcher. And I listen as a downloadable podcast. So I guess you hooked it up with Apple Podcasts or something?
0: Uh, I'm sure probably Colin did that for me.
6: Yeah, it's very nice. I went looking for you when I was looking for your other podcast and wasn't able to hook it up. I have to get that through um, Apple for some reason. Am I rated on
0: Apple? Am I like anywhere close to the top 25?
6: Oh, I have no idea. I'm not sure how (laughs) it is. You'll have to go look yourself. I, I, and I I'm very bad I, I about like. Like it's, Everybody's like, give us five stars and stuff like that, and I've like, I always forget to I do it. I think care. I did it for you and John back in the day when podcasts were new yeah. and. Yeah, but I haven't done it since, in a long time. I don't. Um, I've
0: never. I know Patreon went through Apple. I have never, believe it or not, bothered to even go look at what my podcast rating is on Apple. Don't you
6: me. don't you don't need a rating because people are paying you. It's the rating is for advertisers.
0: Right, and I don't have those, and I would turn them down if I had them. So, like, pe- people yeah. wonder about that. Like, you know, are you on Apple, and why don't you promote on – and all of a sudden, I'm like, guys, I genuinely I, – I, I, people think I'm joking when I say, like, hey, I'm just the indie band over here doing my thing at the small club, and I'm totally happy with that. And people don't buy that because they see that I have you know, a quarter of a million followers on Twitter or I pop up on Fox News or I write at the New York Post, and I gen- I genuinely don't care where i am on apple that's not what i
6: yeah no and and i mean eventually someday you will and then i'll hate you because you'll be like the band that right pop or yeah, something like, like that.
0: eventually one of these days i'll start telling people to subscribe and click below and do all of that shit and then maybe i'll be able to afford my range yeah. rover but i just don't right. care about i just and
6: and i'll be on twitter telling everybody like he sold out he's sold out <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't ever plan on selling out. Just, I mean, it's and, the, and I'll tell you why. It's, this is, I mean, it's an interesting to me because I don't, I don't come from, you know, the the college-born conservative button-down, and then I wrote a few books, and I got picked up in D.C. And I mean, there are obviously authors who have done that and stuff like that. I was literally a guy. I, I mean, I wrote. I was, I've been writing since i was 13 whether it's screenplays or plays or fiction stories whatever and so i got just naturally good at it and i was i'm obviously someone who's not afraid of my own opinion and trust me it's cost me dearly in some things um but i was literally a guy who just started a twitter account (laughs) and uh just said okay well this is just gonna kind of keep and it got picked up and believe it or not i have to thank michelle malkin of all people for Picking me up on Twitchy in, in those days, and so I looked at it. and I was like, "Well, if I pick up ten thousand followers, I'll start a website." And that's literally kind of what happened. And then before you know it, I'm writing for you know National Cuck Review, and and here we are. And so I kind of look at it in the sense of um, I don't need to go out there and be Stephen Crowder or Charlie Kirk. Those guys have that market cornered. That's not what I'm in this for. I'm more in the sense of in this for the experience and, like I said, talking to people and uh, just putting an opinion out there. And if people want to pay for it, I'm fully willing to take their money. But I'm not going to be dishonest with them, and I'm not going to like. Trust me, I could. I've had people tell me, like, man, if you just went full maga, if you you would be making bank. And I'm like, I'm not. I live pretty comfortably. I'm not in this to make bank. Like I have a good place, I keep my pups fed I have a good personal life Uh, I just bought a Range Rover Uh, it's used by the way so I'm not rolling Scrooge McDuck money and that's kind of all I care about I I kind of like to get a good night's sleep and as long as I can get a good night's sleep and be comfortable that I'm being honest with people um, that's really all I need I'm not Rick Wilson needing to pay off a $380,000 tax lien and so as long as I'm not that You're going to this is kind of pretty much where I'm going to be. I will always be kind of in the uh, middling middle of conservative commentators. (laughs) I'm totally happy to.
6: Yeah. And listen, like the one place where I have compassion for Rick Wilson and Jonah Goldberg and a lot of these guys is they don't have, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson talked about the reason he was able to speak his mind was he had three different um, income streams. And so he could risk losing one. And he really lays out, like, if you were going, like, these are the reasons why you need to have multiple income streams in your life, especially if you have a family depending on your income. And, you know, I my heart breaks for them in a way because they are willing to trade their self-respect for supporting their family in the way that their family has come to expect from them. And they maybe even have a sneaking suspicion that their family would abandon them if they didn't, you know, step up with the providing. You know, they're not great looking, they're kind of pudgy, <laughs> they can't defend the home with, you know, a rifle, they're not going to take them out into the woods. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that if they well, well, lost one, everything, could go into the, the woods.
0: What I to say is I do know Rick has a lot of guns. So it's not it's not so much even that. You're, Rick
6: and I used to be friendly. Like friendly as in we had each other's phone number, okay? Yeah,
0: he he's he's been that with a lot of people. Um I I would look at it and I would say it's not even that. It's when you when you get into this career or when you get into an audience or whatever, it becomes I don't ever want to not leave it. And it almost gets to a point to where it's like if like let's say I'm I'm doing this, or I have substacking. Let's say, I don't know, somebody catches me in bestiality porn or something, and all of that goes away. A lot of it stems from people not wanting to go back to a normal job. And, and what that means is it's like, okay, shit, this all just went away. I don't have prospects. I need to go like be an overnight grocery stalker. And they actually look at that, believe it or not, as beneath them, it, because they get an ego about things like this. And that, to me, is largely to do with that mindset. It's, I'm important. And if I lose this, I'm not important anymore. And to me, I've always kind of looked at it as, I'm not important to begin with.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So it doesn't matter. Like, I'm fully aware that, you know, uh th- this could all become financially unstable tomorrow. And then it becomes, what are you willing to do then? Are you willing to then go... Uh, here's my make America great again, and here's my baton, and let's go. Or are you willing to go become a grocery, you know, an overnight grocery stocker? Is like, what? Wh- where's the line? And so, I wouldn't go become that. I mean, I have other skills and other talents. Would I do that? Of course, absolutely, I would do that. Who cares? Um, but that to me is more of that mindset. It's that I'm important. It's almost a celebrity mindset, you know. It's like I, people are listening to me. I'm on TV and I'm important and right. I'm a value and I'm this. And if I lose that, then, um, you know, I'm nobody in the sucks and whatever. So it's not so much their family. It's the, it's, it's, again, it's a celebrity mindset. And much like celebrities, once you hit your peak, then it becomes, I have to go do this shitty porn movie. And that's pretty much where the Lincoln Project is. They're doing shitty porn.
6: Listen, do you remember when that actor from the Cosby show, somebody recognized him in Trader Joe's, and they wanted to humiliate right. him by saying, ha-ha, yeah. he works in yeah. Trader Joe's. And he said, no, I have a family. I can get health insurance through this job. Acting is a hit-and-miss game, and right now it's missed. And then everybody respected him so much for like being a solid you know, stand-up guy. That actually it did work out well for him. But the whole point was that somebody was trying to humiliate him as if that was a step down. And it was, I so respected, I mean, everybody so respected when he was like, no, I'm being a stand up guy.
0: Yeah, no, that was a, and that was largely in part like leftist and media who were doing that. It was like, holy shit, you're, you're, and it was, I think it was like uh, TMZ and, and Entertainment Weekly, and it was like, what are you doing, like, bagging groceries? And it's like, I'm making a fucking living. What are you doing taking my photo? And so that's, I mean, just to give you, like, an insider into my frame of mind, I am fully aware that um, Substack could disappear tomorrow and that I'm going to be back to, like, professionally hiding bodies in the woods. So yeah, if this comes well, down, to, would you rather honestly do that or do you basically become... Uh, you know, you become dishonest with your audience or shift a new audience. And, and hey, I could be on MSNBC with Joy Reid and welcoming my company with Reverend Al Sharpton, except I would rather probably put a gun in my mouth before ever doing something like that.
6: Listen, and I'll tell you the other thing about that is, I think I've mentioned it just on Twitter when I've gotten incredibly frustrated. I have a, a relative in New York City who's... Um, whose hold on reality is not as strong as one might hope. And I can't tell you the damage that MSNBC does to people like that. Like, I'm not talking about, like, them being the left equivalent of the MAGA uncle or something like that. I'm talking about they believe things that aren't true, that get repeated, that continue being repeated, and there's, like, no amount of saying, I get that Blue is your team, but that doesn't mean that this person is speaking a true thing. And it's it's really problematic when you're trying to like, when they're yelling at you, For I'll give you an example of something they absolutely believed. They were telling me that a higher right chick uh, was responsible for a bomb threat to this Boston Children's That's Hospital. That's because Taylor
0: Lorenz reported on it in the Washington
6: Post. Right, and I said Taylor, and I even, because of this, I said Taylor Lorenz is the one who falsely got my, my Twitter account canceled by calling somebody at Twitter and getting me kicked off. And I was explaining this to them. And there's, there was no amount of making... I'm like, Taylor Renz is like literally the worst person on Twitter, bar none. Worst, absolute worst. There are people who have like poo-poo emojis who are not as bad as this person. And like, you know, trying to explain that to somebody who's not Twitter on Twitter already, you sound like a crazy person. You know, so you're trying to talk to a crazy person and you're sounding like a crazy person, you know, but on top of it, like, I mean, literally, like, they believe there are people who still believe absolutely hands down to this day that Russia stole the 2016 election that, um, you know, um, you know, a million and one crazy things. And and, for example, they still believe what Jonah Goldberg said because it was in the Atlantic about the suckers and losers there, you know, any of these things. And that's when, like, the steam Jeffrey starts Goldberg. coming out of my ears.
0: Just, just real fast, huh? correct him, it was Jeff, Jeffrey Goldberg. Jeffrey Goldberg.
6: Yep. Sorry. Sorry, and I you, get my Goldbergs.
0: No, but, I mean, and by the, the way, the Jeffrey
6: Goldberg, is- just like um, what's the name that's the, the anchor on NBC or whatever, you know, he's, there was a whole bunch of those guys that followed me on Twitter, and then I dm them, and I said, excuse me, you're wrong about this, here's the accurate information, and then they unfollowed me. Like, they never want to know when they're wrong. Jake Tapper's another one. Like, you're like, excuse me, you have made a really big mistake. You need to fix it. And so instead of, like, replying or anything, they just unfollow you.
1: Okay, and I even okay, did it, like, privately
6: worry. in DMs. No, I'm just saying they're, they're, like, they know they're lying. It's not like no one's telling them they're lying. It's not like they made a mistake. It's like lying is part of the job.
0: You know that that 's what I do for a living right where i i tell you like journalists are lying to you
6: well well yeah i mean i i know that too but like i mean like this is why it's i'm telling you this is why it 's my group therapy for like whatever i am i don't i don't think i'm a con but i guess maybe maybe i'm a based maybe i'm a I, something i'm not it's, i'm not quite it's just based. based
0: it's not a based
6: yeah i'm not sure i'm on'm that though because like <laughs> If you ask Dave Reboy, he'll be like, No, you're soft, you're weak. You're you're willing to give them an inch, an inch will be a mile. You're no, you're not based. So I mean, and I think he's great, but like, you know, the fact that I'm like, it's okay with me if adult men decide they wanna be women and get, you know, transition. I'm like, as long as they're really sure and they're grown up and they're not being crazy, you know, I'm like, it's okay. And he's like, No, not okay. Zero. <laughs> you know
0: but wh- but why are you even arguing with that in the first place like who cares?
6: because I think he has a good point about like how the inch always becomes a mile uh, like
0: uh- it, it I mean it does on some things like it, it obvious especially in like power of politics, and most conservatives know that that's why that's why you don't seed for instance the minor the minor trans debate you don't seed that ground, and I think we're all in the same. It doesn't matter if you're a libertarian or conservative. I think most even normies are like, hey, yeah, you shouldn't be performing surgeries on 12 year olds, you know, because they think they're Frankenstein. I, I think that that's fine. But then, of course, like you, like you mentioned, I, and I'm with you, if, if, a 20, if an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old legal adult wants to take puberty blockers and transition to do, or think that they want to transition to do whatever, I don't fucking care. What this comes down to is, do you think a twelve-year-old has the agency to decide that they are not a boy or a girl? And I don't think any rational uh, human being actually thinks that. Like, okay, well, but what, what Desantis said,
6: world, what Desantis just said, which I completely agree with, is that the problem is that you're asking me to lie.
0: Yeah. So you no. So he he did this, and I'm gonna and, and I have this set aside to play on the podcast. Because I think it's a good contrast between, uh, and I may and I may play it tomorrow, is DeSantis was talking with Benny Johnson. Yeah, I know, just don't fuck it. I know it's Benny Johnson. Speaking of people who just, you know, are out there putting on a televangelist circus show. Um, but he's talking to DeSantis, and it's not that DeSantis said that. It's not that he said, hey, you're asking me to participate in a lie, and I'm not going to do that. He actually goes down and he names Leah Thomas he names the the actual race that Leah Thomas won, like the 500-meter, and then he actually names the Florida girl, the collegiate girl who actually competed in a race in in second or something. And that, to me, is the complete difference between him and Trump. Put, I mean, forget all of the stupid online attacks and forget what Trump is doing. If you went to Trump and said, Trump, who is Leah Thomas? Do you think he knows? Do, do you really think Trump could say yes, this is Lee. If I said to you, President Trump, do you know who Leah Thomas is? He'd look at you and he'd go, no. And that's the difference to me between Trump and DeSantis is DeSantis can say, here's Leah Thomas. Here's the race he won. He here's why it shouldn't happen. Here's why here's the female athlete that he knocked out of the race. That to me is the entire difference between Trump and DeSantis. DeSantis can actually have a grasp of the news stories. No, Bo Adams, it wasn't Riley Gaines. He he named someone different. I'm going to play this clip tomorrow to illustrate this point. And so, you're right in that sense of um, he says, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to participate in a lie. But the impressive thing about what DeSantis did is not that he not his position on the trans athlete debate. It's that he can tell you the details of the debate, even down to the race that Leah Thomas won. That to me is like that's the That is the complete difference between the North and South Pole of Ron DeSantis and and Donald Trump. I don't think Donald Trump knows who who, or who Leah Thomas is. If you were to just flat out ask him, he'd just be like, did I sleep with her? Do I owe her money? And that's that's what Trump would do.
6: Listen, one of the things about DeSantis that blows me away is and a lot of lawyers develop this skill if they're really good lawyers, is that they can read an astonishing amount of material super quickly and absorb it and then pull it out as, you know, page here, page here, on page 325, on page this, and And he's got that kind of brain. And that's the kind of world we're in right now that we need him. And so, of course, like, because it's clown world, it's like the fellow was saying before about, like, a lol who matters election. You know, it's like 50-50 that he's going to win. You know, uh, Elon Musk likes to say the, the most um, that the funniest thing to happen is the most likely, the most entertaining is the most likely. And I'm like, no, like, the most clownish is what's likely, the most, like, ridiculous, the most... I mean, everything keeps going pear-shaped so badly that you almost wish it was a simulation with, like, the, the, the whoever was running it left it open when he went to work and his little kid is pressing the buttons now.
0: Um, I, I say that I'm bullish on Trump's chances of winning a sec. I mean, I, I look at it and I say this and I've said this before is, and everyone knows I'm no fan of Donald Trump. I look at it and say, if I was running Trump's campaign, how would I do it? And this is how I approach all the politics. I approach it from a Democrat point of view. I approach like if I'm if I'm running, if I am John Fetterman, chief of staff, how do I make him come off as he's uh, coherent and able to fit and serve? That's how I look at politics. I look at it and I say, how how would I get you to win? And I think maybe that makes me uniquely good at these situations. But I look at Trump and I say, okay, let's pretend I'm Trump's campaign manager, no matter how much there's not enough money in the world. He could pay me to be that. Or whatever, and you know that just based on what we just talked about. Um, but I look at it and I say, okay, let's say Trump wins; he's the primary, whatever. And Trump calls me up and he says, I, "I need you to come to I need you to come to Mar-a-Lago, the Southern White House, and I want you to be my campaign manager." And I would, of course, and, and this is assuming he would follow my advice, <laughs> which he wouldn't, obviously. And this is the problem with Trump; he's not disciplined enough to to do this. Trump 2024 is a different entity than Trump 2016. It's almost a decade. That's the thing I don't think people are bringing in enough. Trump in 2015 is not Trump in 2023, okay? You're looking at an eight-year gap, in which case, largely, he was missing from the national stage. After Trump left the White House and we had that second wave of COVID restrictions, he was gone. He, He was out fucking golfing. He didn't give a shit. And that's largely has to do with why DeSantis is where he is, is because Ron DeSantis became the face of the media. And so if I'm running Trump's campaign, you're strictly running on, see, I told you so, period. Look at inflation. Look at how bad Kamala Harris is. Look, at Biden, he's there three days a week. Uh, I I was up until 4 a.m. every day working. Biden is a part time president. He's 82 years old. Yeah, I get that Trump is 78, but Biden's probably going to die in office. And that, to me, is your message. Your message is up until COVID were things really so bad. Well, they weren't. You had a record-breaking economy. You didn't really have foreign conflicts, and you didn't have this stuff. And that, to me, is what Trump should be running on, but he's not. And that's because Trump's second term is not about the country. It's about him. And it's about Trump basically trying to avenge a loss. And this is why I compared him. Once you realize Trump comes from wrestling and he comes from the world of boxing, he's the guy who put all of Mike Tyson's pay-per-view events in Atlantic City at Trump hotel. You learn that this is more about a personal vindication of Trump than it is about the presidency and the health of the country. And those people never win. And if you don't believe me, Look at Hillary Clinton. It's that simple. And so I don't I, I have no misconceptions with the idea that if Trump ran a great campaign, like perfect down the middle strike fastball campaign, he could beat Joe Biden. I think he could. Trump's problem is is he's toxic with just about sixty percent of independent voters. And that includes suburban women and the suburban women who are on the fence right now at the fact that their daughter is being called a racist or might be a boy at school. Those are the voters you need. And so I look at it and I just go, I don't see it as feasible. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I look at it. and I just go, is Trump the disciplined politician individual who can actually run against Joe Biden? And like I said, throw a perfect strike down the middle about this is this is how you run this campaign. He's not and anyone who thinks that he should be or he's going to change or he's going to actually, this is the day that Donald Trump became the GOP nominee and president. No, he's not. He's never going to be that. And so you look at it as a level of electability. And is there, I wouldn't say there's a 50-50 shot he wins a presidency. I would say right now it's probably 40-60 he wins the GOP nomination. I would look at it and say the presidency, 30-70. I, I just don't see it, and I'm—I've been wrong before, but Trump is not the same Trump that he was in 2016, and I also think that that is something that is going to be
6: exploited. <sighs> yeah. Okay, you were supposed to cheer me up. <laughs>
0: I'm, not, I'm not here to cheer you up. We just had this discussion. I'm here to be honest with you. I'm not. I'm, yeah. I don't blow up the balloons. I pop the balloons. That's it. Yeah. So. Yeah.
4: Okay. Whatever you're
0: cooking is what's supposed to cheer you up. Think of it that way.
6: Oh yeah, somebody asked why I'm cooking. I I I haven't been cooking. I was not shopping. I was doing something else. But um it's gonna be chicken uh curry.
0: It's always well it's always chicken something with you. I love chicken. This is the first it's good for you. I eat a lot of it right now.
6: You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make an ad for something. Actually, I get my chicken from Cook's Venture online. And it's a really good deal, and they send you, like, a big box of, chicken, of frozen chicken at a time, and it's the best chicken you've ever had. You're not going to want to get supermarket chicken after e- that.
0: Even frozen?
6: Yeah, I mean, you defrost it and cook it, but, I mean, it's, like, really great. Yeah, you can get either. I, I'm, I'm,
0: really, I'm really against defrosting food right now.
6: Why, why would you not want to buy frozen meat?
0: because it's not as fresh and then also it takes it takes too long to either cook or whatever like that so I, i'm very no no
6: involved. no you get it frozen you leave it in the refrigerator to defrost for a couple days yeah, no
0: i'm just i'm just not i'm not doing frozen meat
6: right okay now. okay everyone else who's listening go to cooksventure.com it's really good chicken
4: <laughs> well, and it's, it's a great that.
6: deal and your first one you get fifty dollars off they're backed by some venture capitalists You use so you there's the cook always confuffle. There's, there's no kerfuffle code, but there's a bunch of there's like fifty dollars off to start, and then they're constantly sending you twenty twenty five dollars off, or here's sixty dollars. They, they for fucking free. better
0: now now that you promoted them here on this episode. They better send us something now.
6: I you know what they, I I they don't do any uh, podcasts or anything like that. They the only ads I've ever seen of theirs was occasionally, and I think it's one of those weird quirks that they like send you ads you don't need but somehow i get ads on instagram and um facebook from them even though i'm like you guys shouldn't be paying for ads to me it's, i already it's, get it's your because stuff. you're
0: not on a landline
6: it's because i'm not i, I have no idea anyway anyway it's good dot com recommend when you taste it you'll be like you'll understand it's heritage it's pastured. It's all the things you want to have chicken. It's good chicken. So
0: Is that is are we are we ending with the chicken ad?
6: We are ending with the chicken ad. Yeah, I okay. appreciate it. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care.
6: Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: Uh, we lost Tipmouse. Tipmouse, if you want to jump up there, I, I will take your call. But we'll wrap up with Andrew. Uh, Andrew, thanks. For, and now they're posting Cook Venture in the comments. So this podcast is brought to you by Cook
4: Venture Chicken. It's frozen, but it's still better than whatever you find at the. And uh, let me tell you use the code word um, versus media, you'll get 15% off on your first $100. Use code word Josh Brolin. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> pink
0: yummy soda Pe- people think i'm still people think i'm like shit face of bourbon i'm still on the first one like i'm nursing this thing i'm i'm an old man <laughs> who's like trying not to eat carbs or sugars and like i have people on twitter who are like how many bourbons deep are you on i'm just like the ice is just melt it's mostly water now it's just literally just it my bourbon has been
4: uh, well, as someone who doesn't drink alcohol, you know, whatever you need to get through the night. Uh, anyway, uh, it's been a while. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm just – well, I've been sort of looking at this, you know, report about, you know, Anthony Blinken being the guy who apparently arranged for the whole – that whole thing. And it's just like aren't we supposed to want Marjorie Taylor Greene to go away because, or, you know, Ron Paul or all, all these sorts of people who are saying it's all conspiracy, let the whole thing collapse. I, ha- I had my like-
0: first, I had my first LOL endorsed Marjorie Taylor Greene moment this week. And I, I, I promised myself I would never do, it's sort of like Trump, where you're so anti-Trump, but you still have to admit when he's funny. Mm-hmm. And, or you admit that he does something good or he... He slaps the shit out of Jim Acosta, and you're just like, yeah, that was pretty good, you know? I had my first one of those with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was
5: sitting on committee <laughs> with Eric Swalwell. Eric
4: Swalwell.
0: And Eric Swalwell held up the Kanye Elon Trump uh, tweet. And he was talking about the quorum or whatever, and then that, yeah, that's that's literally I think what I think the Kanye Elon Trump tweet is like the worst tweet from any Republican official Republican account in the history of Twitter. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? But Swalwell holds this up and he's talking about, and I don't even know how he got back on committee. Like, apparently McCarthy stripped him of that. But so she, he's in committee with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he holds this up and he's talking about Kanye Elon Trump, and this is anti-Semitism, whatever. And then it goes to Marjorie Taylor Greene and she goes, well, this is a rich coming from someone who had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy. <laughs> and just the room goes silent. And then he goes, that's inappropriate. Strike those comments from the record. Da da da. And, and my first thought was my first thought was that was pretty good because he did. He fucked a Chinese spy and totally gave over state secrets. Allegedly. Um, but the fact that he wanted it out of the record, like he didn't he didn't want any record of it. When, if it didn't happen, you'd just be like, you know what, fuck it, leave it in there. You're a crazy bitch. You know, that, that, that's what I would have said. If it didn't actually happen, I'd be like, you're a fucking crazy bitch who believes that like JFK Jr. is sitting in the audience right now. Um, but like, she literally just goes, she just like goes full Jack Nicholson and as good as it gets. And she's just like, It's pretty rich that we're listening to anti-Semite comments from a guy who fucked a Chinese spy. (laughs) Like Marjorie Taylor Greene is always someone who's like three, four mimosas deep before she goes to her job. And so that that was one where I was like, all right, just because I fucking hate Swalwell and he he should just not be anywhere near Congress. That was one. And this is this is the one the bulwark is going to clip. By the way, they're going to clip me saying I love Marjorie Taylor Greene, whatever. Um, but that No, was they're going to clip that. Quit hard on that one. And if anyone deserves to like just go hard in the paint, on, on if anyone in Congress, it's fucking Swalwell. Like that was so great. But it's
4: like. And um, that was like the only time she's ever done anything that's even re- remotely competent. Yeah, uh, no,
0: I agree. And, yeah, and even and she didn't even really do it that competent. Like she could have been more articulate about it and like actually presented it, but no, she's just like, "You wouldn't played flaming dragon with a CCP honeypot, you fucking loser." <laughs> but that was the
4: one where I was just like, "Yeah, I'll take that." But it's sort of like the thing is. The the thing about it is, is there's there's always been Marjorie Taylor Greene's crazy cat lady
5: You
4: you bring up a good point
0: about this, and this is one that I I haven't written about, but I've thought about, which is when people talk about like the like Lauren Bader or Marjorie Taylor Greene or, or really the really kooky Republican reps, you can go back to uh, what's his name Hank Johnson talking about Guam tipping over. Sheila Jackson Lee has literally been like the like the the craziest person of Congress for the last 10 years and she's going to be the mayor of Houston by the way. You have uh Maisie Hirano. you have these absolute off the deep end bat members of Congress and yet I feel again media wise you hear more about someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene and you're right not to interrupt her monologue um and it's not an excuse. Like I, I, I don't want Marjorie Taylor Greene anywhere close to the levers of power. Whatever, um, but to pretend that we haven't had people as batshit crazy as her in Congress for the last hundred years is again, it's a misnomer, and it's it's a testament to how media doesn't cover certain politicians as well. As-
4: well, I mean, we remember we've had people. We've literally had someone almost kill someone with a cane on the on the floor of the Senate. So. It's not like we haven't had insanity throughout our entire history when it comes to Congress creditors. So. But what I'm just trying to say is I'm much more worried about what the the feeling that it is that there is actually that our security systems not just the ex-people like Brennan are actually just an extension of the Democratic Party and things like the um, and things like Blinken becoming – gaining the Secretary of State after helping uh, arrange for that um, Hunter Biden um, set of uh, – the Hunter Biden excuse is actually so dangerous because it just it reinforces this idea that our system is just the Democratic Party and it gives power to crazy loons like Marjorie Taylor Greene. You hear like, people like Eric Erickson or Jim Garrity freak out about – how can we all have so many stupid conspiracy theories and it's like because so much of it does feel like you can point to so many examples of this sort of thumb on the scale of of highly connected urban liberals and that's very dangerous. I I don't know. I, I just I'm feeling that sort of frustration, you know.
0: Um I mean I get I get the frustration every day where it's just is like how do we overcome this like you, you this thing this thing with the, the hunter Biden laptop I mean I come from a position that do I think that that swings the election no absolutely not I, but to me that's also completely beside the point. I do not think that the hunter Biden lap if, if the New York Post story is released and there's no interference and it's put out there and then there's a two week long investigation. Does that hand Donald Trump the presidency? No, I, I, I don't think that that happens. That's also, to me, 100 percent beside the point about what is honest and what is not. And um, do you ban journalism because you think that it's going to hurt people? I mean, Ben Smith said it. He's like, generally, historically, we don't publish stories that come out in the last two weeks of a presidential campaign when we everybody fucking knows that's not true. We had George Bush's DUI come out two weeks before. Uh, that election. And so everyone knows that's not true. And so um, I, I think this is a frustration of how how do you even overcome this? And I guess I look at it and I'm and it's a different media atmosphere. It's a different technology atmosphere. Um, it's a, it's different all around. But I look and I'm like, I, I still remember the 2004 election and just personally, because there, again, there wasn't widespread internet. There wasn't really social media beyond my space. And every single fucking person I knew or hung out with was voting for John Kerry. And I was just like, ah, fuck, Kerry's going to win. And he didn't. And he got creamed. And so I kind of look at that and I'm like, the voters generally for the most part can ignore a lot of this stuff. You can fool some of the voters and that's an old saying, but you're not going to fool most of them. And so this is how I look at it. I'm like, yes, you have the national media trying to once again engineer a GOP primary, which they've been doing ever since John McCain and Barack Obama and then Mitt Romney and then Donald Trump. When they really tried when they actually engineered the the 2016 primary and then it backfired on them and they just like went, well, fuck. What did our national media do? Did they learn from that? Did they just go, maybe we shouldn't do that? No, they doubled down and and it worked. It worked in 2018, it worked in 2022. And now they're going to try and do it again in 2024. And so I certainly am sitting here going, well, we're going to find out if the GOP audience is dumb enough to fall for this. Um, Maybe they are. And that's kind of that's maybe me getting more cynical and me getting older where I'm just like, Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to fucking elect Trump again. And this is what we're going to do. But on the other hand, the electorate can be funny sometimes. They they can be smarter um, than what you think they are. And so, again, I I just I don't know. I I don't know. I literally have no idea what's going to happen between now and, say, August of 2024 when there's a GOP convention. None. Anybody who's say, who's telling you this is how it would go, they're either lying to you, going back to Kerfuffle's point, they're lying to you for an audience. And I would argue that doesn't matter if it's pro-Trump or pro-DeSantis. Um, I have a hard time. One of the things I hate the most is, especially like on Twitter and social media, is when people who I know who are just in it voluntarily are still, like, tagging at Ron DeSantis Florida. (laughs) It drives me crazy, one, because it looks desperate, and two, because Ron DeSantis isn't on Twitter. Um, That's one thing I know for a fact. He does not use Twitter. Uh, He lets his staff kind of use Twitter because he kind of knows they're better at it than he is. And so whenever I see, like, these uh, these pro-DeSantis accounts, this isn't true what Donald Trump is saying, at Ron DeSantis, there's such a, there's such an attitude of notice me, notice me, senpai, please, please notice me. And that to me is an effect of Trump, of Donald Trump, who Donald Trump would like, people forget when he was in the midst of 2015, 2016, he would retweet like faceless egg Twitter accounts with three followers if they said something that he wanted them to. And so, I look at that, and again, I come from a point of, one, you all need to calm the fuck down. Two, it's April of 2023. Three, you have no idea how DeSantis is going to respond to Trump. Um, I kind of think, and Bo Adams says Christina Peshaw is good at Twitter. Yeah, DeSantis employs people who know what they're doing on these platforms. And that, to me, is a plus. DeSantis is like a Gen X dude. Um, he kind of comes off as like a dorky golf dad, but he's still a younger guy. And so you have people like Bashaw and you have people like Redfern, and you have people like Griffin. They know how to use these platforms. And so that's why I'm kind of just like, let them do it. And when they make good points, let them point it out. Um But there really does feel like this giant tug of war going on. And and like I said earlier, I'm kind of sitting back just going, none of this matters. It doesn't really matter largely to an electorate. Uh, A good example is you had Tara Palmieri from Puck News last or two weeks ago write about how DeSantis can't sell tickets to the New Hampshire dinner. And then as it turns out, he not only outsold it, he he sold the dinner out. He raised more money than anyone speaking in the history of the dinner. And that's what I would advise people. I'm like, stop paying attention to the media attention and look at where the fucking donors are going. Like DeSantis has a war chest and this isn't getting enough attention. And we talked about on the previous call in that DeSantis has a war chest that is actually comparable to the money that Trump can put up. And if you're going on donations, if we're strictly talking about donations over the last four years, Desantis's money doubles Trump's. Now, Trump can obviously throw his own money in, and he has it, and he can do that. Um, but that, that's another narrative that's not getting enough attention on purpose. And so, yeah, I get that people are discouraged, but you're, you're I made the joke that if you're seriously reading one or two stories about how bad Ron DeSantis is, you're basically artax sinking into the swamp of eternal sadness. <laughs> you're like you're buying what they're selling you and I'm telling you not to do any of that yet. I I'm, I'm a Trey you trying to pull Andrew out of the eternal swamp of sadness. Do you get it? And yes, I know how that went. I know how that situation went. The horse the horse fucking sinks and dies. And you know what? The horse might fucking sink and die again. But the whole you're you're basically proving their point that if we publish enough negative shit And if DeSantis is your guy, fine, whatever. But if we publish enough negative shit about him, you're going to sit there and go, oh, fuck. There's no way. There's no way this is going to happen. And I don't know. Maybe there isn't. But I would advise you to maybe tune all of that.
4: For what it's worth, I wasn't really thinking about DeSantis when I was talking about that. If anything, the thing that's got me most depressed is just how bad that last five minutes was for the Canes. Hurricanes just gave up five goals in five minutes. Oh well, obviously I'm not watching fucking
0: hockey. I'm talking to you guys.
4: Um, uh, (laughs) Hurricanes are just
0: injured as hell. That's their. I mean, Hurricanes. I think it. I think might be beginning of the year Stanley Cup pick was as Hurricanes in the finals, and now Hurricanes have like literally everybody's injured, and they're probably not getting out
3: of the second round.
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be the Rangers again. They're just looking. They're going to make it to the third round. Oh well, next year. Well, you have a good night, Stephen. I'll let you get out. It's been two hours, and you probably and you're probably tired, and you actually want to finish off that drink.
0: Yeah, it's it's down there, and uh, I don't mind the time as long as the conversation is good. So um, yeah, I'm probably going to watch some hockey. Also, I've I've got. I'm not an NBA guy, but my hometown Nuggets. I'm starting to get into my hometown nuggets now. So there you go, Bo Adams. It's now NBA talk. So um, this was good. Thanks, thanks again to all of my callers. Episode 98, BuzzFed. Um, good topics. It's good to hear from some usuals plus some newbies. So uh, this is a good Friday night episode. This is, this, this is one of the more exhausting eventful weeks in media that I've seen. Um, I literally, it's funny, yesterday after BuzzFeed folded, I I got hit from three outlets to write pieces, plus I had to record a podcast. (laughs) And I was supposed to be on with Larry O'Connor again, except I'm going to be on with Larry O'Connor next week. And so also maybe um, Kennedy as well. So again, thank you to my callers. Thanks to you guys for tuning in and spending some time here on a Friday night. Like I said, I will be back on Substack tomorrow. I do owe you guys an episode to make up for my sick day. So I will be back on Substack. It's probably, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be just a total goof off, jerk off episode, but there's still a lot to talk about from the week. So stay tuned for that. I will look at being back on call in probably Monday or Tuesday of next week and uh, back on Substack uh, tomorrow plus Tuesday as well. So there you go. Uh, Hi. Good night, everybody. Thanks for your time. Take care. Cheers. Enjoy your weekend.